If you have a Bible, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free. After the service, you can get it up here at the front with our prayer team or come to the Next Steps room. I'll get you one there. Or if you have a mobile device and you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, you can download one from our website right now, corechurch.com. But I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 19. So while you're looking that up, uh, we are continuing our summer of Sabbath. It is wrapping up in the next couple of weeks as kids get ready to go back to school. But the summer of Sabbath is all about saying yes to rest. Let's uh, say that together. Say yes to rest. Turn to somebody and say, you need to say yes to rest. You look wore out. You need a nap. Hey, we're, we're talking about taking Sabbath back. Uh, when we began this series way back at the beginning of summer, I talked about Sabbath. It's more than just Sunday morning. It's more than just coming to church, but it's about saying yes to faith, family, and friends. What if we said, I'm just sick of all this busyness. I'm just sick and tired of being way too busy, and I'm going to push back, and I'm going to take one day, and I'm going to say yes to faith. I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to meet with God's family. And hang out, hear from the word, and sing, and be encouraged by other people. I'm going to say yes to my, my family. I'm going to say yes to my kids and say yes to email. I'm going to say yes to my kids. I'm going to say yes to my friends. Maybe you can have some friends over and do life together, like in a core group or something like that. But what if we did that? That's what the Summer of Sabbath is all about. That's what today is all about. Kids Day 2016 is about saying yes to family. We value family here at Core Church. We value your children. And so did Jesus. You have a Bible, Matthew 19. Stand with me, and we're going to read this together. Beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're on a mobile device, it's the NLT. And we're chapter 19 and verse 13. This was written, by the way, by one of Jesus' disciples. This guy's name was Matthew, and he was a sinner far from God. Jesus recruited him and said, come follow me, be one of my 12. And so Matthew wrote these accounts of being with Jesus and what it was like to be with him. And he wrote it down. And he said this in verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. And now here he's talking about himself. I like he doesn't say, hey, but I. He kind of puts it on everybody. <laughs> like all the guys, we're all in this together. But the disciples, and this would be Matthew himself, scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Father, for your word, we are so grateful. Thank, for, thank you for the moment we have here to stop, to focus on your word, to hear from you. And would you speak to us? Church, let's do that right now. Just pray for one another. You don't have to do that out loud, but let's just pray for each other. The person to your left, your right, behind you, in front of you. Man, God, help them to be open to what you want to say today. Man, you may know them. They may follow Jesus. You may not know them. And somebody's sitting right next to you today, they don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, I pray that God will speak to you today uh, in a tangible way so you can understand who he is. And then pray for me as your pastor and those who are going to be sharing today that would be faithful to what the Holy Spirit once said in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus. At Core Church, we understand if you're a mom or a dad, raise your hand. Moms and dads, put your hand up. Moms and dads, we know what you did today. This is exactly what you did. You brought your children to Jesus. 
And we, we listen very intently as a church to what the disciples did here. They scolded the parents and said, whoa, 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 kids, no, kids, they just need to be in the back somewhere and we're going to give them some snacks and, and then we're going to do the real business in here. And Jesus said, let the children come to me, don't stop them. We practice the words of Jesus here at Core Church. Let the children come to Jesus, don't stop them. What you saw on that video just a moment ago, from the youngest baby, how many of you have babies? Babies, not, not your teenagers. Put your hand down. Some of you have teenagers. Like, yeah, my teenager's a big baby. Babies, your child is learning about Jesus today. Your preschooler is going to learn about Jesus. Your elementary student is going to learn about Jesus. Your teenager is going to learn about Jesus because we want to make a way for them to come to know Jesus. But at Core Church, it's not just about our kids, but we believe that we are also responsible for the children who are not here the children in our community who've never heard the name of Jesus or maybe are in a position where they thought God has forgotten about them. God doesn't know their name and God doesn't love them. God is not, as we sang earlier, a good, good father. And we believe that God calls us to go to those places and bring a voice to children who have no voice. So I wanna bring up some people that are doing some good work in our community that I uh, am inspired by them, and I want you to hear a little bit of what they're doing. I hope it encourages and inspires you today. Uh, Chris Campbell and uh, Lindsey Reyes, and then Michael, come on up to Michael Weitzman. Give them a hand as they come. Chris is with the uh, 111 Project. Lindsey is with James Mission. And then Michael is a spokesperson for uh, uh, Stand in the Gap. And we're, you're, he's going to hear his story here in a few minutes. Uh, Chris uh, and I have known each other in, through Church World for a long time. You stepped out in faith and started this 111 project. Uh, just give us an overview. What is 111 project? And when we talk about the kids who have no voice, I want you to try to do that without crying. This guy cries every time he speaks, but that's okay because I love your passion for children. So tell us a little bit about 111 Project, that the, those that don't know what it is. Yeah, so I was, oh, here. Can, okay. uh, I was on staff at a local church uh, a few years back, and while I was on staff there, I had somebody came to me and said, hey, do you know about this shelter that we have down the road? And at the time, I was the missions pastor, and so it was kind of like my job to know about things happening in the community, and I grew up in Tulsa, went to Union, graduated from Union. Um, was real involved in my church, and I knew nothing about this local shelter down the road. And if, for those of you that don't have familiarity with the shelter, uh, Lord Esther Shelter is kind of the only state-run shelter that we have right now, um, and it's kind of the last place for as an option, as a safe place for kids in our community. And, uh, and I knew nothing about it. I'd, I'd taken folks all around the world on mission trips and, and visited orphanages and done work with kids. Um, but in my own community, I didn't know about the need that we have. And the kids are there um, because there's not a family for them. Um, there's not a family that says, you know what, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to provide a safe, loving, either temporary home for you, kind of some biblical hospitality and foster care, or an adoptive family for those kids that their parental rights have been terminated and, and they have no place to go. And so uh, for me, um, really where I first got involved and, and learned about uh, the need was through just being on church staff. 
And, uh, and I got connected with 111, this idea of 111, because there's 6,700 churches in the state of Oklahoma, 6,700 of them. Some of them big, some of them small, um, but 6,700 with lots and lots of families. And, and the idea that began to burden me, um, you know, this is, this is God's church, God's heart. He's the father to the fatherless, but he uses us to solve that. He uses us to be the family. And what would it look like? If we did for one what we wish we could do for all and, uh, and take every single one of these churches and try to pair them up with one child that needed a home. And so one church for, for one child, and that was the idea of 111, is that we would be able to make that connection. And so that's where it, where it started from. When you started, can you give us just a glimpse of, we see the pictures on TV of poverty around the world, and we just think it's always across the ocean, and we have a, uh, in fact, one of the organizations, I'm not forgotten, that's here today, it helps children and orphans across the globe, but we, it's really hard for me to think this, that this is happening in, in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, but kind of give us an overview, what was it like when you first stepped in? The, yeah. the, the problem. So when I first started visiting the shelter, um, just to give you guys just the local shelter context, which is just a small microcosm, um, you know, we had hundreds of kids at the shelter, um, kids sleeping out in the hallway in offices because we didn't have enough room. And one of the first places that we, <laughs> yeah, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Say that again, because that yeah. needs to sink in. For yeah, a our shelter has been overloaded um, wow. and, and I mean, places, not places for these kids to go. Um, and we, some of the first volunteers that we recruited not too long ago was folks to go rock babies in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, because that was needed. And we had workers that were helping these children, but we needed people to go at 2 a.m. And when the kids wake up, who was there to rock them? Um, and, and that was happening in our city. Wow. But you guys, through the work that you've been doing, it's insane what God has been doing through one, one, one. So share with us what has been happening and what God's been doing. Yeah. So for those of you that are familiar kind of in the news and things that have happened our state, we haven't, we haven't always been proud of how we've handled, um, and, and, and worked with the kids in care and state care. And thanks to agencies like St. Francis, I love that they're here today. And I mean, this is a team effort, lots of agencies, changes that have happened in the state, but I would also say the advocacy of you guys and, and families in this church that are fostering and adopting. We've gone from two state-run shelters, one closed in Oklahoma City this last year, mm-hmm. and Laura Dester Shelter now does not have hundreds of kids, but there's actually 28 children wow. left at the Laura wow. Dester Shelter. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I just got the report this last week. Last year, we had dozens of, of babies that were still in the shelter, even in last year. And right now in the Lord Esther shelter, and actually in shelters across statewide, there are no children under, the six, uh, under six years of age in any of our shelters. Man, amen. Amen. It's yeah. amazing. And then statewide, though, statewide, though, I want you guys to get this. I mean, years ago, we had... 500, 600 kids that would be in and out of our shelter at any time. Right now in the state of Oklahoma, there's about 101 children that are still in shelters statewide. Um, as I mentioned, 28 of them are in the Lord Esther shelter. Then there's some other private shelters. Um, so we still have a need. We still have a need for more foster and adoptive families in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we, we talk many times. There's kids that come in care, 
and there is no place for them to go in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm not talking about just teenagers, which our biggest need is teenagers and sibling sets, larger sibling sets, places for those sibling sets to be able to stay together. I don't know of a better ministry than helping sibling sets stay together. Um, some kids with special needs, but still we've got five-year-olds, um, four-year-olds, 10-year-olds that are coming into care and they're sitting at the DHS office um, because we don't have an available foster home. And, and the first solution is they go across the state someplace to some other community. And guys, that's just not, to me, the Tulsa way and the way our churches operate. We take care of kids in our community. Right. And so out of anything I hope you would hear from us today is we, first of all, thank you to those of you that have stepped up. Uh, but secondly, we still need you. We, we need folks that are willing to take children into their homes, temporarily provide some biblical hospitality, provide yeah. a safe place for them um, so that these kids are in, in a safe, loving home. Um, but also they get pointed to this good father. Yeah. The interesting thing is that the church used to be the answer for these issues. And the whole reason, what we do today is we go, wasn't that what a state organization, that's what a state-run agency is for. Like, that's what, that's their job. It's the church's job. It's our job. It's what we're supposed to be doing. But because we didn't do our job, the government had to step in and do our job. That should not be said about us as a church. And what I love about core church is it's not said about our church. Many of you have fostered. Many of you have adopted. And I, can you tell just this? You told a story the other day that I, I heard you say about a church. I think it was in Cherokee County. Can you just share with them that this is a difference a church can make in the life of, of a family? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we do this thing with James Mission and in and, and the you know, state called the care portal. And the idea of it is that we can connect a church through an email system with the state agencies that are serving these youth. And so you get an email, you can help out in any way. Um, it could be a bed, it could be a bus pass. Um, but we launched this in Cherokee County, uh, this last week and, uh, and that's Tahlequah. And while we were there, their first need that they brought, um, was a sibling set of seven children. And uh, what had happened is those seven children, their dad had died. Um, the mom was not a part of the family. The dad had died. And these kids in Tahlequah, right outside of Tahlequah, were living in pretty utter poverty. Um, I mean, lack of shoes, lack of clothes. Um, I think three or four of the kids had never owned a pair of shoes. Um, so seven kids and the state and the Cherokee Nation, um, a lot of kids in our state, if you're Cherokee, you better come to my booth today and sign up because we have a lot of Cherokee kids. We have a lot of Indian kids, and we need more Cherokee and Indian families. But um, these kids come into care, and there's no place for them to go. And so what they're talking about is how do they find homes for seven children across the state of Oklahoma. They're just going to split them up and remove them all over. And if you guys have kids, you understand kids are the best therapy for kids. And, and if you separate kids, it only, it only adds to their trauma and their heartache. And there was an older man who'd been around these kids in their church. He'd seen them come. He'd loved on them before. And he said, you know what? I've never had kids, but I am willing to take all seven of these kids, but I have no place to take them. Wow. Wow. Get this. Another church member said, if you're willing to take them, I'll get you a house. Okay. And so another church member says, I'm going to get you a house. If you'll take the kids, they put the kids in, and that's where Care Portal came in, yeah. is we need beds, we need clothes, we need dishes, and the church yeah. rallied in this community. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. 
to see that these seven kids are taken care of. Amen. And the church is the answer. Yeah. Amen. So here in a moment, I'm going to have you share a way that we can tangibly get involved. But Lindsay, I want you to share about uh, James' mission. Uh, we've had we've talked about James' mission before from the stage, but I love your organization because some people may you may be in a position where you're like fostering or adopting may may o- overwhelm you. Um, and we'll talk about ways you can take steps with that. But there's other ways, tangible ways you can get involved and make a difference. And that's what your group does. Yes. Um, well, we, we started James Mission three years ago last, well, three years ago in June. Um, and it's because God kind of did a movement in our life the summer before. So almost four, year ago, four years ago, exactly, my husband prayed a prayer in his car and said, I'm going to be 35. Lord, I feel like I've done nothing. You know, mm. I want to do more for you what can I do? And he said, you know, burn me, mold me, you know, do whatever it takes. But he failed to tell me he prayed that prayer. And so, um, a month later I get laid off and I made the bulk of the money. And so God kind of worked on us that whole year. Um, I argued back and forth for about six months with God while my husband was on the right page and I was like seeking and, and he really stripped us, um, not only financially, but emotionally, um, and it took that and my stubborn self to get down on my knees and pray. And I dusted the Bible off and I said, wherever it lands, I'm just going to read it. And I opened it up and it was the book of James. And I read it and took notes and prayed and said, okay, God, what do you got? And so he's like, read it again. And so I did it again. And we did this 27 times. And um, after the 27th time, I said, you know, it, the Holy Spirit just filled me and said, you're going to adopt and you're going to foster and you're going to, you're going to do this. And so I went to my husband and he was like, praise God. She finally listened. And (laughs) so our journey began, um, that January of 2013 and, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just, a friend of mine worked for DHS and she said, Hey, if you're going to adopt, there's lots and lots of kids there that need this, go to, go to the website. And so I just filled out, um, online that Sunday night and the next morning, um, there's actually a recruiter that works for St. Francis now, but she was our adoption recruiter for DHS. And she called me that next morning and said, Hey, I can come to your house tonight, bring you a packet and get you all set up to go and look at your house. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so, um, God moves super, super fast with us. And so she came and we did it and, um, started classes and our, our, the way James mission was formed is when we got our first placement, um, we did zero to 18. So we were the crazy ones that thought, okay, God, you know, wherever it's going to be, what are you going to do? And so our first placement came from a, a boy that was about to age out from Lord Esther shelter. And he was dropped off with what he had on. And we went to, went out to eat and it was my, my birth son's, uh, gosh, he was 15th, 15th birthday. And he was, you know, the 17 year old boy was walking funny. Josh was walking funny. And we were like, what is going on? Why is he walking really funny? And, um, finally I was like, man, his shoes look really small. And so we started talking to him. I'm like, Hey, you know, are you okay? Do you need some new shoes? And he just kind of looked really embarrassed and put his head down. And he said, I don't have any shoes. The shoes I have at the shelter had holes in them. And I was embarrassed and I felt like you wouldn't want to keep me if I came with that on. I'm not going to cry. I don't normally cry. I give him a hard time for crying. Um, so it hit me that it was more than just us opening our home. There was a real need. Um, and we've fostered over 20, gosh, 25 kids in three years. We adopted two um, last year. And uh, 
every single one of them have come into our home with what they've had on, and that's it. And typically, it doesn't fit. It's not good. Um, we've had meth babies that I literally had to strip them down and, you know, because they were exposed to meth and, and trash everything. So that's where James' mission, you know, was kind of birthed through us is through the book of James and providing that need. So right now, I mean, we did it from our garage for two years. We were a little bit crazy, and, and we were blessed with the building that we've actually already outgrown. Um, but we provide for over 200 kids a month the past summer. Um, and over 75 this last month were kids that were placed into DHS emergency custody. And so they literally came with nothing. And we were able to, you know, by people donating to us and providing things like clothing in good condition, new clothing, um, used clothing, shoes, socks, undies, toiletries, diapers, wipes, all of those things, we're able to give those kids something to take with them, um, you know, when they go to their, their kinship foster home or foster home or wherever it may be. So if somebody wanted to help James' mission, if right now they're like, man, I want to do that, um, obviously they can come see you at, your, at the table out there and yes. talk with you, but um, is it just as simple as donating things or what well, does it mean? Well, I mean, when you donate, we have to have it processed. So um, it's my husband and I, and actually my husband now has to work so that I can, you know, do this. Um, but my daughter, Marissa, she's been like such a huge help for me. Um, we had she was, she came to us when she was 16 and we adopted her last year and she's actually starting college this fall. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but she can tell you, we need help. We need help in all areas. So we, we do appointments and so it's appointment only for our clients and it, it can be the caseworkers. I know Colette's seen us. Um, it can be, uh, the biological parents that maybe are starting to get their kids back. And a lot of times they're starting over completely. They don't have anything. And that's where Care Portal has been awesome. And us to kind of help wrap around them by providing them furniture and things, but they'll come in and we let them pick out their items. Um, and it could be, you know, the foster parents, adopted parents. And so that time frame, we need people that, you know, not only can help sort and size and process, but it's actually meeting with the caseworker or the biological parent or the foster parent and, and loving on them because it's not just about the clothing that gives us the opportunity to share Christ and to love on them and to, you know, just ask them, what do you need from us? What else can we do for you? What can we pray for you about? So it is that, that physical need, but God always, you know, when, when he was putting this whole thing in my head was like, it's not just about, you know, one church or about you. It's about the body of Christ coming together and doing it together, whatever that, that may be. But we have all sorts of areas to volunteer, um, that I can definitely put someone to work. So Michael, let's, let's talk about you. I want you to share your story because you're not just a spokesperson for stand in the gap. Um, but you've come through foster care and through adoption and uh, hearing your story, I think it would be so helpful for our, our people to hear a little bit about your journey. What, I mean, what's it like uh, to be left alone, to be thrown into a foster home and then another home and then adopted? Walk us through that process. What was it like for you personally? You share your story with us Michael's going to preach, so he's going to need to, like, walk around. You already know this. <laughs> I, do, I, do not. I need you to You're stay making him sit in, in, the, in the chair. I don't know if that's going to be possible. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Well, the first thing that comes to mind, like when we think of the foster system, we think about what can we do for this crisis. I think that so often James one twenty seven is thrown around, you know, true religion that God our Father accepts is pure and blameless is this, look after orphans and widows in their distress. And we just care about the orphans, the widows. No, but, um, but I think so often, I think that like that verse is really overlooked and I think we can spit that verse out as much as we want, but how often do we actually walk that and put that into action? Yeah. And I think that another verse that comes to my mind as I think about this crisis and as I think about what's ministered to me um, has been Hosea chapter 11, verse 4. And it says that um, I led them with cords of human kindness and tides of love. And we think about what can we do. And in my stories I'm about to tell you, I think it's through the cords of human kindness. It's through, the, it's through actual people. It's through people reaching out to me and my brokenness and my depravity that I really feel like God reached out to me and proved himself faithful. Um, but I started off, my, I was born to my mother when she was 18 years old, and uh, she had a lot of drug and alcohol addictions, and so um, didn't really know who my dad was because of the uh, amount of people that she had had intercourse with. And so uh, I was born, and uh, she got right to work on the next kid. I'm actually the oldest of 10 now. And so uh, she had my brother when I was nine months old, and my brother's name is Demetrius. And uh, when Demetrius was three months old, he died. And uh, there's two reports. There's one report that he died of sudden infant death syndrome, which is where he just died in your crib. Um, but the second report is that he died of a cocaine overdose through his breast milk. And so regardless of what situation is actually true, like the fact of the matter is that unfortunately, you know, he passed away. And um, um, so the police came to take me from that home. Obviously, they saw that it was not a good fit. And so when they came to take me, they found me sitting on the kitchen floor, and my diaper had ruptured open, just my feces was all over the kitchen floor, and I had a huge butcher knife in my hand, and I had a bag of cocaine in my lap. And uh, the police, uh, according to neighbors' reports, said that I had been home for two to three days by myself, and I was one years old. And so at one, I got taken, and I was born, um, and actually I was born in Compton, L.A., and so I have street cred, but I, I, was, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was living in downtown Los Angeles at the time, right? And uh, so the police took me out, and they admitted me into a state custody, and uh, I went to my first foster home at a year old. And within the next four years, I had seen eight different homes. And so... Uh, um, and I don't really know why I moved so often. I mean, at a couple homes, I was literally there for like a month or one home. I was there for like two weeks. But uh, I was also at one home for about two and a half years. And I was with my biological grandfather. And when I lived with him, um, there's a lot of physical abuse and a lot of sexual abuse and verbal abuse that took place on a day-to-day basis. And um, I mean, just things that I don't want to go into details, but um, just stuff that should not happen to anybody and is definitely hard to imagine if you were not in the situation yourself. Um, But uh, I got to my eighth foster home at five years old, and uh, they immediately decided that they want to uh, foster adopt me, just go straight from fostering me to adopting me. And uh, I think sometimes we think about this crisis and we say, well, we want to do something. God, use me. But I think also sometimes we jump in way too fast and we don't even know what to expect and we don't know what's going to happen. And we're so unprepared for what we're going to get ourselves into. And so uh, they adopted me and uh, I was raised in a great Christian home. Um, they'd actually adopted three others and had two of their own. 
So I had two, I had a brother and a sister from Korea, and I had a brother from Russia, and then myself. Um, and so I grew up there, and I lived with them for the next 10 years, and uh, um, a lot of good came out of that. Obviously, God used that family to save me from a very traumatic lifestyle of abuse. But um, at 15 years old, just due to a lot of rebellion, due to a lot of uh, their misunderstanding of the situation, um, I was removed from their home at 15 years old. And uh, their reasoning for that was that I was potentially a threat to their grandchildren because I was sexually abused in my past. And so they thought that I posed a threat to their grandchildren, who were my nieces. And um, for me, that was very devastating, I think, just because not only do you not get a choice over sexual abuse, I mean, this is something that to me was told to be love, like this is what love is. So I never questioned it. I thought it was normal. But something that I couldn't control, um, but now I also could not control the response that people had about it. I couldn't control the way that people looked at me because of that. And I've had families my whole life say, no, we don't want you around because we're afraid of what you're going to do to our kids. I've had churches tell me that I can't help out because uh, I was a threat, you know. And so, um, so I left their home at 15 years old, and for the next two years I was in four other homes. And I mean, we look at the Laura Dester shelter, and yes, it's it's a horrible situation. I'm not denying that at all. But um, in California, the amount of children that are in the system obliterates the number in Oklahoma. Um, and so uh, it they they just need to put kids wherever they can find them. And so I lived in some of the worst places you could find. I mean, I mean, like like literally like the 14th floor of abandoned buildings, just so we could find a place for you to stay. And uh, within that next two years, I lived with roommates that would pour their own feces over my face while I was sleeping. Every single day, someone was trying to fight you to see if they were more dominant than you. And like, I still, like to this day, I've never fought somebody. I just, I just never felt like I could. I just would always say, God bless you. As a 15 year old, it's really hard to wrap your mind around, why am I saying God bless you? to this kid who just poured his crap over my face, right? And so um, it just definitely caused a lot of questions. And so uh, not to mention just battling with, like, um, my sexuality growing up because um, after being sexually abused by a guy, I felt like I was forced to be gay. Like, do I get a choice about this or was my decision made? And so everything's good. I'm straight. Um, But... um, But um, it was definitely a huge journey for me. It was, it was, it's honestly been one of the hardest journeys for me to find and actually come to a, a, a final point at. But um, living in the homes for the last two years after I left my parents was, um, I, w- I will always say it was the worst part of my life. And so I would, I would easily have gone back to being abused before I was five rather than living in the situations I lived in after I left. And I mean, you think about what these kids go through. I mean, you literally feel like you're just a number on someone's paycheck. They're paid to check in on you, and then they're paid to leave. They're paid to spend an hour with you, take you to McDonald's. And the truth of the matter is, yes, you get some people that care, but so often, more often than not, there's people that don't really care. They're just doing it to get by and pay the bills. And uh, every single day, there's not a day that I don't wake up now where I can say that everything's better, right? Like just, I mean, and that's all of us. Like we all have our own past, and I don't think we're ever completely over anything. But uh, there's never a day that I get to wake up that I get to say I have a mom and a dad because I don't. That's the truth of it, right? The truth is I've never really known what it is to be loved by a mom or a dad, and I don't know what a connection of a family is. And so um, going through the system, that's been the hardest part. 
and we think about how can we help these kids. And the, the truth is, there's only one thing that has broken every single one of these kids, and it's relationship. Relationship has hurt them so badly. But at the same time, the only thing that they could find healing through is relationship, and uh, both through Jesus Christ and with us, with other people. And so that's just a little bit of kind of what I've experienced. One thing I just want you to touch on just briefly real quick here is uh, the part that the church played uh, in the redemption story for you was there was a youth leader that came into your life. Just real briefly tell us about that. Yeah, and so in the two years after I left my parents, um, the foster system actually gave me a mentor. Um, It's almost like a big brother type of thing. And uh, um, he was consistent with me for all two years that I was in the system. And he would take me out every other week with his family and take me to church with them. And, I mean, this was like the only time of the week that I could feel normal um, was when I was around him. He never made me feel like I was a threat to his kids. He invited me around them. I I mean, to the point where, like, now his kids will call me Uncle Mike. And they actually have an uncle named Mike. Um, but, um, you know, and so I was sitting down with him. I was 17 years old. And at 18 years old, I would have been kicked out of the system. And I would have been homeless. And that's, like, a really scary thing. Because in L.A., it's, like, super hard to afford anything. Um, and so I was sitting down with him. And I was super into fashion at the time. You can't tell now. But, I mean, at the table, I'm with him at breakfast. And I'm wearing pink pants and a leopard print shirt with him. Like, like, so clearly, like, there is no, like, Midwest in me. Like, I'm supposed to be in Orange County, California for the rest of my life. Um, and I said, what am I going to do? Like, I believe God is faithful. But, I mean, it's kind of hard to see what's going to happen. And uh, he said, well, if you want to move to Tulsa... And, I mean, of course, I thought he was being sarcastic, right? Like, look at me. Um, But, uh, you know, he was being serious. And so he asked me again. He's like, would you want to move to Tulsa? And I was like, sure. Um, I mean, because I needed a solution. And so uh, within a week, um, his dad owns a company out here. um, And within a week, his dad had bought my one-way ticket to Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And uh, before I was 18 years old, I actually emancipated from the system, becoming an adult illegally before I turned 18. And I flew out to Tulsa with two suitcases. Um, that's one thing the foster system gets you really good at is packing. I could fit my whole life in one suitcase today and go anywhere. But uh, I came to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Got a lot of weird looks in the airport for the way I was dressed. Um, and uh, it's been a happy story ever since. But uh, having mentors have wrapped themselves around me. And it doesn't ever fill the void and make me be able to say that I have a dad. I can't say that I have a dad or a mom still, but it definitely makes you feel like you're welcome. It definitely gives you relationships that can be healing. Um, I mean, even Chris has stepped in like the last few months and it's so awesome. And just the heart that he has for this whole thing has been such a blessing to me. And so really without that, I, I could never say that I'm tough enough to make it through that. It's because of the people that God has put in my life. And it is, that, it is through people, it is through the cords of human kindness that God has proven himself faithful. And every single day, I'm still reminded that his mercies are new. So, so I, I got to rock something really quick here, though. This, this young man graduated from high school at 16. He has just got back from six months in Quito, Ecuador, serving on mission. And now he's a 19-year-old that has a job at a pretty established company in town doing graphic design and scrapping it and doing it. I think we need to change our perceptions of who these kids are in the system. Okay. Yes. (laughs) 
so tangible, what, Chris, what can we do? Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about it today. I mean, ultimately, I, I'd say this. We need homes. We need folks that are willing to open up their home temporarily, long-term. We need adoptive homes. We have 450 kids in the state right now that their parental rights are terminated. Uh, we need homes for those children. And, and if anybody hears from me today that says that's going to be easy, you didn't listen. Okay, because that's not the truth. Anybody in this room would tell you foster care is not easy. It is messy. It is difficult. But you know what? I believe the church is the answer. and I believe his yeah. people are the answer. And there's those of you in this community that, that potentially God is pulling on your heart, just like Lindsay, and saying you need to take this yes. step of action. But secondly, we need a community like what you guys talked about. You better not do this alone. Okay? And you need to wrap around your core community and bring them along in this journey with you. Um, secondly, I think anybody can help. Uh, there's ways through what Lindsay's doing with James Mission and what we're doing in partnership through this care portal. Sign up for an email. Okay? And, and we're looking for people here at Core Church that are willing to help us make this ministry happen. And, it, and it's probably the easiest ministry out there. Uh, with today in social media, you receive an email. You help us advocate for that email, whether it's a bed, whether it's a bus pass, whether it's some clothes within your guys' church and congregation. And Brad's asked us, hey, let's, let's find those people in the church that want to help us be that advocate. We'd love to talk to you about it. But ultimately, what Michael talked about today is there are ways, I love how he said this, we need relationship. We need people that are willing to commit to relationship. Um, Lindsay's story with, with their daughter, Marissa, it wasn't like, okay, go from nothing to adoption overnight. It was, hey, let's go out to eat and see how that goes. <laughs> let's go over for a weekend. Let's have you home with our family and see what you think. And especially with these teenagers, they need consistent relationship. And, and they're not going to believe anything we say about Jesus and our Heavenly Father if they don't see consistency from us. And so at the shelter right now, you can volunteer. You can go meet these kids. Um, we can help you get connected to that. Um, to Stand in the Gap is a ministry that we're representing today. We need mentors uh, we need folks that would be willing to say, hey, I, I would mentor a child with a group of my friends, maybe even your core group, you know, your community group, mm-hmm. to say, hey, we'll meet with them once a week, three or four of us, and we'll just be kind of their board. We'll be their spiritual family. So even if we're not ready to foster adopt, I got an hour a week, you know, to give to a teenager that's trying to figure out what's going on in life. This dude keeps me on my toes, okay? We hang out more than an hour a week now. But, but I'm just saying, even just being around them and hearing their excitement, and, and Michael says this all the time, they need something to hope for. Like they need something to look for. They need a reason to live. And the only reason they're going to get that is through rubbing up some shoulders that have something to live for, that can show them what family's like, can show them what a fun career is like, you know? And so um, we need mentors. So whatever way you want to be involved, I think God, I think God through scripture says we all need to get involved somehow. Um, for some, it's going to be families. For some, it's going to be rallying some physical financial resources. For others, it's going to be giving of your time. And out in the hallway today, the organizations that are here, both domestically and or internationally, I love that. No matter what God's wired you for here, you can get involved. And we would just encourage you to do for one some way in what you wish all these kids could have. Okay? Yeah. Can we give them a hand and thank them for coming today? Thank you guys so much. And bless you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, seated for just a moment. I want to pray for you. You just bow your heads for a moment. I just want you just to think. You've heard a lot today. What's your next step? What is God calling you to do? 
I can tell you that if God is speaking to you, whatever he's saying your next step is, be obedient to that step. It might be something very scary, bigger than you are, but take that step. Laura and I took that step over a decade ago. It's one of the best steps I ever took in my life. I don't regret a single moment of it. Is God calling you out of the seat to make a difference? Right now, just commit that to him. God, I'm willing to go and do whatever you call of me. Whatever you ask of me, Father, I'll do it. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard Michael's story. That can be your story. God wants to redeem you. He wants to make you new. He wants to take all the junk from your past, forgive it, wipe it away, and recreate you and give you a second chance. If you say, man, today, if God could do that for me, I want that. And I'm not a follower of Jesus, but today I want to do that. I, how do I do that? It's by simply doing this, saying, I, man, I know I'm a sinner and I need God to forgive me. And you just confess that to him right now. God, I just need you to forgive me. I just need you all the stuff from my past things that were done to me. Forgive those who did that to me. And God, forgive me for the things that I have done. And it's simply turning from that and saying, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, risen again on the third day. And I believe that his spirit that gave life to Michael can give life to me. And so today I'm just going to start following after him. If that's the cry of your heart today, you, you have the gift of eternal life. And with every head bowed, I just if you prayed that today and, and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time, or maybe you've, you're coming back to him for the first time in a long time, you've been away from him for a very long time, and you say, man, that's me today, Brad. I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you. I just want to know who you are. Every head bowed. If you prayed that today, would you just lift your hand? You say, man, I just needed to make a commitment to follow Jesus today. I needed to follow him. Thank you. See you all the way in the back. Anybody else? I made a commitment to follow Jesus today. How about those of you that say, God is asking me to take a step, and I want to be obedient to the step he's asking me to take. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. God, for all the hands that have been raised, thank you for new life. For those who are taking a step of faith to follow you, to step out and do something courageous your Holy Spirit, meet them in that position. Meet them right where they're at and carry them through it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.